Hello, fellow Kentuckians and other friends, and welcome to a new edition of my old Kentucky podcast. My name is Robert Connie. I am by myself this week for this portion. Jasmine is out again, but we did have Martina Jackson fill in for her to read the news. That's going to be coming up first. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the news that, that happened, including Kelly Kraft jumping into the re- gubernatorial race as a Republican, uh, a couple of other items of news, and then we talked about her campaign. She's great. She's in Richmond. She has run for this seat before, or she ran uh, for a Kentucky House in Richmond before when it was District 81. She's now in the District 91 portion of Richmond, so we talked a little bit about gerrymandering and, and how she ended up uh, in, in the district that she is in. We also talked to her about, you know, the, the shape and flavor of the district, uh, what issues she's passionate about, and then also kind of about her identity and what it would mean to her to be the first uh, African-American and Latina woman um, uh, elected uh, from, from that area. Uh, after that, though, we, we also had a different interview. I talked to Rini Heinrich, who is running for Kentucky Senate in Northern Kentucky in District 24. That encompasses Campbell, uh, Pendleton, Bracken County, and also three precincts in Kenton County. We talked to her, you know, just about running in Northern Kentucky, uh, all another one of those kind of rural urban districts, what that meant to her, why she's running, how she's running in those areas, and, and what issues she's passionate about, too. So, Two great interviews as well as some news. Jasmine will be back next week. So without any further ado, let's talk to Martina Jackson. Martina Jackson is the Democratic candidate in the 91st House District, which includes about half of the city of Richmond and also Northeast Madison County, all of Estill County and all of Powell County. Ms. Jackson has worked for the Kentucky Justice and Public Safety Department, where she administered a grant for domestic violence and rape crisis centers. She's worked for the Partners for Education at Berea College and at Eastern Kentucky University. This is her second run for Kentucky House and her second time on the show. So, Martina Jackson, welcome back to my old Kentucky podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm glad that you're here too. You're you're gonna we're gonna do an interview with you later on in the show. We're gonna ask you about your race for house and all that good stuff. But we kind of wanted to start since Jasmine's not here, talking a little bit about the news. We're not gonna go too yeah. deep uh, because it was uh, you know we we don't want to leave Jasmine out of some of the big stuff that happened today. Uh, sure. And and we'll go ahead and and start with the big news that happened today, and that's that Kelly mm-hmm. Craft. Um, Donald Trump's former ambassador to the United Nations has declared her candidacy for governor. So, Martina Jackson, where where were you when you heard Kelly Graff was going to run for governor? Well, I was at work and um, had just finished doing some research for a program. And then, of course, I um, pulled up Twitter and I I saw the the video Mm -hmm. um, that's announcing... Her run for governor. Yeah. So you, you're obviously running for a house and busy with that. And we have an election this year and you're obviously going to be totally locked into that. But of course, you know, you, you can, you can pay attention to multiple things at the same time. How, how closely have you been following the, the uh, kind of uh, trials and tribulations of the Republican nomination for governor uh, that will be happening next year? Honestly, I I have been watching because um, the, the pool of people has been stacking up and um, that's always uh, entertainment for any, anyone who's watching politics is to see who's jumping in the race for um, especially for governor of Kentucky at this point um, to see who's running. So, you know, I know there was a lot of talk about um, is she running? Is she not running? Uh, We see her taking pictures, doing this and that. And you kind of knew like at some point, it was going to happen. Yeah, well, I mean, I I honestly didn't know. Uh, I mean, she seemed smart, and I think a smart person would have probably stayed away this time. But you know, <laughs> I guess uh, you know she is a Republican, so what are you going to do? Um, I'll let me talk a little bit more for for people who may not be as familiar with uh, Kelly Craft about who she is, and then we'll talk a little bit more about about kind of her chances in the, in the primary, and then maybe the general if she makes it there. So. Miss Craft is the wife of Joe Craft, who's a coal baron from Oklahoma. He, they have a lot of money. I think that is kind of the main big takeaway about her candidacy is they have a lot of money and are willing to spend it to make her the governor of Kentucky. Mm. Uh, uh, Joe Craft, also, you may hear, have heard his name because he is a, a major University of Kentucky athletics booster. They, I think the, the Kentucky basketball team practices in the Joe Craft Center. Uh, they live in the Wildcat Coal Lodge, I think most of which was funded by Joe Craft. So he is 
very mm. tight with both the basketball and football programs there at the University of Kentucky, my mm. alma mater. Uh, right. Kelly Craft is sure to spend a ton of money in the race, and I think you know she may try to cut a more moderate path than, than Daniel Cameron, Savannah Maddox, or Ryan Quarles. Um, mm-hmm. th- that does kind of seem to be her vibe, even though she was the United Nations ambassador under Donald Trump. Um, she, right. she does kind of that, I don't know, just based on the way that she talks and the, 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 the issues that she cares about and kind of just what she's been talking about so far in her videos. That seems to be at least to sure. me the path that she wants to, to, uh, to take. Yeah, the race is, though, very crowded with Ryan Quarles, Daniel Cameron and Savannah Maddox headlining things and you know uh the the state auditor mike Harmon is there as well so so uh mm-hmm. martina what what do you think i mean uh, just looking at the field of candidates that we have you know we this is kind of the fun part right once they right. once they pick somebody and they're up against andy Bashir, we really got to get down to work um but before mm-hmm. that happens you know we're just kind of watching uh trying to mm-hmm. see what's going on so how do you handicap this race what do you think about all, all these folks running for for governor who do you think has the best chance and where does kelly craft kind of fit in with that Right. I, I think you're um, spot on in terms of the more moderate um, tone and voice and depiction of herself, especially in the, the ad she dropped today. And to, to set themselves apart from one another, um, I still think it's going to be tough um, because it's like, what is it that's going to make you stand out? Um amongst all those candidates, but also against Andy Brashear mm-hmm. um, at this point. And looking at, you know, the possibility of who may come up as a winner, honestly, we're seeing uh, what folks call liberty candidates um, trying to come in and coming in strong in some areas. Um, who knows how heavily that will weigh um, across a, a statewide election primary. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm still looking at uh, the the groupings of Cameron or Quarles at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I, I reserve the right to change anything I'm about to say before next sure. week, because I, you know, and, and we will uh, for, for show listeners. Um, this just came out today. We'll do like a deep dive on Kelly Craft, like we've done on Daniel Cameron, Savannah Maddox mm-hmm. and, and, and Ryan Quarles next week uh, with, with Jasmine. But but for this week, my initial thoughts are um, I, I think I think she probably is the best candidate for Republicans in the general election. I think in sure. terms of like moderate voters who uh, you know are looking at Andy Bashir and are like, well, he kind of did COVID in a way I wasn't super uh, you know happy about uh for you know moderate for kentucky maybe we'll put it that way or or you know i just people who are in kentucky who are like you know i i would vote for andy Bashir even though he's a democrat against savannah maddox um but you know uh, uh, kelly craft may be a little bit more of the flavor of the type of person i want but i think she has not a good chance in the mm-hmm. Republican primary, which it will just right. will just be Republicans, because I think, you know, there are a lot of candidates that are sucking up a lot of the oxygen. Daniel Cameron already has the Trump endorsement for now locked up. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Ryan Quarles has the endorsement of so many of the judge executives and the state legislators um, in, in Frankfurt that are on the Republican side. I, right. I'm I'm really interested to see who she siphons support from the most, though, because I think Daniel Cameron's really banking on the Trump endorsement. That's really the, his the, his crown jewel of his candidacy right now. And she kind of right. does threaten that. I think she has a closer personal relationship with Donald Trump than Daniel Cameron does. And I think that Donald Trump may not have known uh, that Kelly Craft was going to jump into this race. So she may threaten that big thing uh, that 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 Daniel Cameron has. But at the same time, she also stands to to gain the support or perhaps purchase the support of some of the (laughs) Republican state legislators, especially as this race kind of gets tighter for for the Kentucky House and Senate as things are are, are coming up. So she may um, siphon some support uh, on on that side. So I I mean, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I, I would agree, you know, in terms of when you look at like, you know, someone who is directly impacted or associated with the Trump administration. Um, She's got a leg up on that. And of course, you know, when you have money to spend on your candidacy, you can make yourself more visible. So um, with Cameron and uh, Quarles, um, they're also in public office already. So they're, they are 
working in a different dynamic when you're in public office and having a campaign um, versus someone that's not directly in that circle. They can maneuver a little bit differently, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I think the last thing I want to say about this before we move on to our next kind of news item is that I think this also, this development, Kelly Craft actually getting into the race is the best news for Savannah Maddox. Because I do think Daniel Cameron, Ryan Corals, and and now Kelly Craft all kind of fight over the same kind of voters. Whereas, like you mentioned, the Liberty candidates, those that are right. the, the wildest right-wing, Trumpiest, DeSantisist <laughs> voters in, yeah, yeah. In, in Kentucky are, are going to vote for her. So, mm-hmm. you know, that has a hard ceiling. I think that there is kind of – she's not going to be able to get above a certain amount. But the sure. more that the rest of the primary vote gets diluted among other candidates, the better mm-hmm. chance that Savannah Maddox has if she can shore up her support. So so that's mm-hmm. kind of that's kind of where I'm sitting with that. And, and, and sure. the that's bad news as far as I'm concerned. Um, mm-hmm. I, yeah. I really don't want Savannah Maddox coming out of that primary. She's a very scary person. So I, <laughs> I, hear I, w- I would not like for that to happen. All right. Um, let, moving on from there a little bit. So um, some big news that happened last week. Andy Bashir, the governor of Kentucky, he made two endorsements. Charles mm-hmm. Booker, who's running for United States Senate, and Matt Lehman, who's running for U.S. House in uh, District 4, which stretches kind of from Oldham County, outer Louisville suburbs, all the way through northern Kentucky, all the way out to Greenup County along the Ohio River. Um, it, I would say that these endorsements were probably assumed by everybody because the governor is a Democrat and these two candidates sure. are, are Democrats running in those races, but he made it official. So – uh, Martina, I'm I'm curious. What what do you think? There are, does this matter, or was were people kind of assuming this, or or what is? I mean, obviously they're gonna try to bank some something off of this. How how much do you think it matters that the governor is making these full throated endorsements of these two candidates? I mean, I I think as uh, for Democratic candidates, I think getting the backing from the governor in Kentucky is something that we want. Um, Some may not, but I think most of us do um, because we are proud of what the governor is doing. Um, But for those, you know, may not assuming, uh, you know, on the, on the interwebs, you know, people are um, making the assumption that, oh, is, is the governor distancing himself from one candidate? Um, Is he going to come out and support and all the speculation and whatnot? And, I felt eventually it would it was going to happen. Um, I, I think whatever timeline people are on um, as to how fast that should happen, um, some people think it, it should be immediate because you know it's historical that we have a Charles Booker as our U.S. Senate candidate for the Democrats, and so you know speculation or not, I think the governor was um, making due time on, on what was going to happen anyways, um, because for other candidates that he didn't endorse um, that are in congressional races, he made that very clear. Um, I think if the governor is going to do something, he's going to do it and and do it with the purpose and intention as well. Yeah, I think you're referring to Jeff Young there, who's running with the Democratic endor- or the Democratic ballot line in the sixth district, but is not receiving yep. any support from the Democratic Party. Or and the governor was very clear up front that he was not supporting that person's candidacy. Versus, Correct. you know, and and this is, you know, I I think that maybe you know, generously we could think that maybe they're timing it for maximum impact. This is kind of yeah. the time when more people start tuning into politics right around Labor Day, right. um, you know, as the run-up kind of goes. And there were some people that were like, why are they waiting around? Uh, but I think a lot of those people were very tuned into the race. Um, yes. And uh, yes. maybe maybe don't always recognize that this is the time when it really starts to matter. Uh, and and exactly. getting, yeah, getting in the news and, and getting the, you know, the candidate with the governor now probably starts to actually impact people who are thinking about politics. Oh, yeah, we have this midterm election that's coming up. Maybe I should think about voting. Um, that's, yeah, we got 62 days. We so. should, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm not counting. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and so that's that's the most generous reading. I, I do think that there's a less generous reading. And I mean, if you want to go with that, that's fine to say, you know, and, uh, Andy Bashir doesn't want to be tied to candidates that he thinks are, is going to 
lose. Um, I don't think that that's where he's coming from. Um, no. But but I do think that there's people out there who do think that. Um, but sure. you know sure. that that's 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 neither here nor there. Okay, last thing um, in the news side: uh, the University of Kentucky and Transylvania University in Lexington are no longer going to publish their institution level COVID metrics. So it takes a lot of time and effort to run the dashboards that the, these universities have been publishing. So stopping mm-hmm. those publication frees up the time for those staff to like do their job, which I'm sure that they were not hired originally to do COVID stuff. Um, so, you know, but, you know, the, at the on the other hand, it, it does does leave us with fewer data points uh, that we can use to evaluate COVID spread in our communities. So I, while I'm going to mourn the loss of the data, I kind of understand why it's going away. So mm-hmm. Martina, you know, Jasmine and I talk about COVID a lot from the perspective of people living in Louisville, living in a very urban area. Um, and, mm-hmm. and I do think that there is a bit of a divide between kind of our urban communities in our small cities and especially like our rural areas in terms of like where we're at with COVID at any particular time. So as somebody who lives in in Madison County, uh, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, where you're at with COVID, what you think about this change that these universities are are making? And and also just kind of as a candidate, you know, how are you trying to, are are you doing anything to deal with COVID at this point as you're trying to like get your name out and meet strangers and do all that kind of stuff? Yeah. Right. Well, I'm definitely, um, taking advantage of as many outdoor events as possible um, to at least mitigate some of that um, exposure, direct exposure, if I can have some distance, but um, work, you know, having, I'm currently working at a university as well. And um, I'm seeing, you know, the, my colleagues come down with it um, that we were, you know, we didn't have this surge of, of students on campus. And so um, I I am, you know, I'm a little concerned, you know, when we don't have the data, because it is really important to help us know if what is working or not working, or if, um, if we're taking the safety precautions to keep people safe. And um, in Madison County, um, as someone, you know, I, I, I'm out and about all the time and, you know, regularly attend church. And so those things like in-person church, we're constantly looking at whether we're in a red or yellow um, and will we be able to have in-person or, or whatnot. Um, I am, con- I'm masking up at work for a lot of it um, and definitely looking at getting a booster um, because I've had, you know, uh, colleagues come down with COVID in the last two weeks and family members, um, also households have been hit. And so I'm getting tested regularly just for my, my own personal sanity of thinking, is it, is this the sinus pressure or is it COVID? I don't know. Um, so it, it is still a concern. It's still every single day people are getting it. So it hasn't gone away. Um, we need that data. So that's a little concerning. Um, but I understand like people are at capacity and have been at capacity for a while. So it's like, what are, what are we really dealing with? And when it comes to being you know, realistic with our resources too. So I can understand, but um, it's a tough situation, but I think it says a lot about how we probably um, need to rethink how we're how we're dealing with this yeah as time has gone along obviously we've had to make a lot of changes and, and kind of adapt to the world that we live in and of course you know we were on such high alert for such a long time there's no way that we could sustain that and as we kind of like ramp down what we're doing um, in terms of, of surveillance of the disease um, trying to figure out the best thing that we can do and I think you're you're dead on you know just wear a mask when you can when it's appropriate we know how to do that right. now we've got them um, we know how to we know to how, how to take care of ourselves we know how to get vaccinated uh, we, mm-hmm. we're getting the shots the the new shots that are coming out that are hopefully going to give us even more protection. So, you know, right. Um, we'll, I'll miss the data points. I'm, of course I'm a data guy. So I, I like to look at all that yeah. stuff and it's, it's my, my day job. So, uh, you know, that's, that's, <laughs> that's fine. But, uh, but yeah, um, I, I think that, you know, we're, we're doing, we're just doing what we can. So that's exactly, that's, that's what you got to do. All right. Well, let's transition a little bit and talk a little about your, your race, uh, for the house. So, all right, Martina, you you ran for house in 2020, very mm-hmm. narrowly lost the the district 81 
primary. Mm-hmm. Uh, you filed to run again in District 81. Uh, the maps got drawn. You found yourself living in District 91. Uh, you know, right. at that moment uh, th- that you had a decision to make, you know, you, if you wanted to stay in the race, you kind of had to go to you know, refile. You know, I think you had to pay again, right? You had to pay I did. a I... second time your filing fees. Uh, yeah. and, and you decided to go ahead and do that. You, you decided, despite all those changes in the district, to refile um, for this, you know, much more rural district that includes, you mm-hmm. know, whole counties that are that don't have a city quite like Richmond, uh, not 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 even like Berea, which was in district old district right. 81. Um, so I'm curious, uh, talk to us about how you felt during that whole process. What were your thoughts? Mm-hmm. You know, when you filed a, again, like I'm in, I'm in. And then when you saw the maps, you're like, Oh no, I got to do all this <laughs> stuff. And then looking at your map and thinking, Oh my gosh, uh, I got to mm-hmm. go to Powell County. I got to go to Estill County. What, did, what, what were you thinking through that entire process? Um, well, I definitely, I, at first I was kind of, I was shocked when the maps were so different um, and how different they were. And the fact that I'm across the street from my old district, um, literally go to the stop sign, walk across, and I'm in the 81st district. And so I was, I was stunned, really, truly, <laughs> to begin with. And after that had worn off that initial shock, um, that the district was no longer just one county, but it was three counties and a portion of my city that I live in now, Richmond. Um, I had to really think about why I was running in the first place. And, you know, even though we have districts that are uh, more urban or more rural, at the end of the day, legislators make laws and make decisions that impact the whole state. And none of the step, none of the decisions are made in silos. And if you're going to serve Kentuckians, you're going to serve Kentuckians no matter what. And that was my thinking when I refiled um, that I I did have connections and um, people I knew in Estill and Powell County from previously working in those areas uh, with Partners for Education. Um, and I have a heart for working for Appalachia. And I'm Appalachian. I grew up in East Tennessee um, and I come from the volunteer state. So that volunteerism comes with me, you know, and where you serve, where you can make a difference and um, where you can do meaningful work. And that's what I saw an opportunity to continue to extend that work in this district. So I said, I was, I was a little, I was worried now when I first started this, because I said, do I have enough time, um, to really make those inroads? But, um, I said, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it now. Yeah. I, I mean, that's really inspiring. To, uh, it's a real, real, uh, story of tenacity of, you know, really wanting to, to, to help people. I mean, that's, that's what it all comes down to. And, and, uh, right. faced with, um, you know, these roadblocks that were literally placed in front of you, like they put Good them Lord, in there yes. for you. Um, <laughs> and, and you're not the only one with that story. You know, we talked to, to Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, we've talked to a couple of folks in, in Louisville here that have, uh, find themselves uh, just about on the very edge, like even boxed yeah. into their district in, in some unique uh, circumstances. Uh, yeah, you 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 are, are still um, working hard uh, to try to represent the folks in the 91st district. All right. Uh, so we talked a little bit about you, but let's talk a little bit about the district. So, you know, mm-hmm. in 2020 district 81 that that was richmond and berea it's all of richmond it has a little uh, and it kind of goes down and then picks up berea and has the population to form one district uh Mm -hmm. now uh your district only includes about half of richmond they just kind of like chopped richmond in half uh they did that with a lot of cities but richmond was certainly one of the ones they just like divided in half uh and and in my opinion it's one of the most gerrymandered districts in 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 the whole state Um, agreed so can you talk to us, you know, while it's gerrymandered, it's the, it's the district that you've got. You're well-established there in, in Richmond. You ran for office there before. You live there. Your home is there. Um, talk to us a little bit about how you split your time deepening your relationships there in Richmond, where, you know, the, the mm-hmm. bulk of the population is, while introducing yourself to the new voter, voters in, in Estill and Powell counties. Right. So um, you're right, you know, kind of Richmond being home base and um, deepening my my presence and um, connections throughout the county. It means I am in one of the counties um, 
every day or every other day at some event, some meeting organization. Um, I've gone to Kiwanis Club meetings, to um, meeting with educators, going to introduce myself to the magistrates in Esto County and PBAs and judge executives um, and so forth. And um, going to the Corn Festival in uh, Powell County. And this weekend, I'm going to the Railroad Festival. Um, I frequent the uh, parks as well. And um, that meant I'm playing volleyball with people out in Stanton at the park um, and so forth. But also uh, the local Democratic parties there have been exceptional and the people are amazing and they have uh, just been introducing me to people left and right. And when I extend a hand to get to know people, they often extend their hand as well. But it is constant, constant um, plugging myself into what can be awkward for people. I'm an introvert. And so I do not get my energy from being around a lot of people, but I do love making deep connections with people. And so that has really been at the center of saying, making this connection means we're doing some good work. Um, and so it's, yeah, it's just plugging away um, in any angle, every angle. I'm at football games. I'm at volleyball games. I'm at the park. I'm at festivals. I'm at the Kiwanis Club, the Rotary Club, the Lions Club, um, right along with my 10-year-old who is uh, the best campaign manager in Kentucky. <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs> uh, I, I will say, so, So you know, we've talk, been talking to candidates for several cycles now. We, we talked to candidates in the 1820 and now in the 22 cycle. And it is, right. it, it is a new thing um obviously covid was different in 2020 and in but in even a lot different from 18 to see the candidates really get out into these communities that you're you're not the only one but but i do think that you're doing a great job of of going to the places where you may not be as known getting yourself out there and, and introducing yourself to as many people Thank as you. possible yeah. yeah so so you know your previous district 81 had a pretty distinct like small city flavor we talked about that it, it was did. it was richmond and berea um mm-hmm. and and now you've kind of got richmond which is you know it's a city right it's a it's one right. of those classic small cities in in kentucky compared to like ashland e-town paducah you could compare it to you know uh, to some extent newport uh like there's a lot of places like like richmond in terms of the size and scope of a city mm-hmm. like that in this state but you also in addition to that have this these these rural counties um mm-hmm. and, and and you know I know that you are who you are. Uh, you've got the message that you're running on. Um, but, you know, the, I think that sometimes, you know, you have to package the Democratic message a little differently to, because it resonates a little differently with, with different folks. Um, so talk to us about how you do campaign. Um, you know, you talked about going to talk to the magistrates, talking to the PBAs, talking to the elected officials in these areas. Do you find yourself talking about different issues when you go to these people versus when you're in Richmond? How has that kind of gone? Uh, and how has you, you know how have you learned to campaign in these areas that are different from the last time when we're, when you ran. Right. Well, Kentucky, you know, we've, we've got 120 counties and that county culture uniqueness is prevalent in the 91st. We've got three different um, counties. And so I pay a special attention to that and uh, what folks are talking about on the ground to um, connect my values and my understanding of the issues and where I can be of service. But you're right, every county and uh, to elected officials, to locals have a different experience. And how infrastructure is looked at in Richmond is much different than it is in Estill County or Powell County. Um, And one way that I have, what I've done is really look at what are the things that are in common across the district and um, then hone in on how community specific that is and the uniqueness of it, whether it's looking at tourism across the district is all three counties have really um, pushed for investment in tourism because we've got the Red River Gorge, we've got Esto County, um, that's a trail town, and then we've got Richmond that has the arts and the university there. Um, They want those dollars. and, And I can understand, yes, this means we are doing well when we have people coming in, experiencing our county. Um, looking at 
pro-public education. Those are major institutions in all three of the counties is our, our school districts. And in Madison County, our school district is, um, I think, the sixth largest in the state. And it is like one of the major employers and so forth. And that hap- that is um, pretty common in a lot of rural um, counties as well, that it becomes a major employer. So being really cognizant that these things that may separate us, impact us differently, are still very core elements to each of the uh, counties. And so that to me is really important to know and reflect what people are living and experiencing and to remind them that we're, we're working together. Uh, I'm not working against the interest um, because I'm in Madison County and you're in Powell County. Um, we, we have a lot in common, actually. It's just going to look different. And I'm going to take note of that as well. Yeah, absolutely. I I mean, obviously, because of the way the maps are drawn, we've talked to a lot of people who are in a similar situation of having like a a, a city uh, and some rural area. And that's a common refrain. People are the same everywhere. A lot of the times the the challenges that we're facing in one place versus the other are are quite a bit the same. That's the uh, the message our U.S. Senate candidate is running on, uh, you know, from the the hood to the holler. Um, Yeah, so that's 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 great. Yeah, I I really I'm I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that the connections they are making um, are are revealing um you know that uh, a connection between uh, dif- different ways of life mm-hmm. so so you've dedicated your professional career to helping people gain access to services that they need at different parts of their lives i don't know i feel like th- I, I wrote that i was like yeah that, that seems right right that seems right yeah. uh so as a member of the legislature um you know you're going to be in a position where you are are, are going to be able in some extent to to help improve government services or, or programs that help those people in need and as somebody who has a perspective on that who's dealt with people in those situations what are some ways that you would like to see um those government services improve specifically which programs would you like to hone in on or or, or really work on if you make it to the legislature mm-hmm. you know i often talk with the students that i work with about moving from talk to action and that's one thing that i i not only i talk about it but i, I show them this is what it can look like and how we can move in that direction regardless of barriers, regardless of how slow um, the process might be or painfully slow. Because I know sometimes the legislature can put up roadblocks if, in a committee and, and so forth and so forth. Um, but one thing I do look for is making sure that I am working with people that we can identify things that we are um, both aligned with. And, you know, when I go out to the community, um, well, I, I went out into Letcher County, um, I think five days after um, the floods, and I went to Kane's Kitchen to do some cooking there. And what became just a day of doing um, cooking, um, I also had time to sit down with people and say, how were you impacted? Did you lose your home? No, I didn't lose my home, but I lost my business. Um, And this area is not considered a flooding zone. And so what, when I get those nuggets of information of lived experience, that immediately means for me oftentimes is where are we missing the gaps in services or in our legislature that aren't fulfilling the needs of Kentuckians. And so when I get that information, I, I see it as a as a another tool for us to move in Frankfurt to address disaster, uh, emergency management and disaster relief. I see it as looking at food insecurity because that's obviously people don't have access to food. Um, I'm looking at affordable housing and, and what are we need, needs there. Um, those type of things where, again, you move from talk to action of what people are experiencing and what can we do in Frankfurt uh, to move along those lines. They almost got something passed with affordable housing with this special session. And I was just like, dang it. 
you know, so close. But this is the time to do it. Um, we have Kentuckians in need, and there's no there's no reason at this point, especially when people are in distress already when they were before the flood. Um, that you know, I'm I'm hoping that my future col- colleagues um, will see that we're called to do this work for a reason, and it's not for us to sit there and talk about the merits of whether or not people deserve basic human rights, housing, food, healthcare, et cetera. Yep. Uh, healthcare and housing are the probably the two most mentioned uh, issues that we've talked about on the campaign this year. Food insecurity, mm-hmm. always a major issue. Uh, and, and we definitely need more people talking about it. So that would be very good to get somebody passionate about that into the legislature. I wanted to ask a little bit about uh, questions about identity. Um, so, you know, we have a black caucus in uh, the, the House in the Kentucky legislature, uh, and it mm-hmm. has a very distinctly Louisville-Lexington feel to it, right? now we've got mm-hmm. Derek graham that's holding it down in frankfurt uh for us but but you know there are a significant number of of, of black women that are running in rural areas in, in kentucky this year we've got two uh that are running out in western kentucky we've got a couple up in northern kentucky and we got you uh mm-hmm. here in, in madison county and in addition uh if i'm not mistaken you also uh have uh you know a latino uh, ancestry or you know you have a latino right. identity mm-hmm. as well um so you know if you become elected, I, I think you would be the only uh, Latina Democrat uh, in the legislature, and uh, you would also join uh, be be one of just a handful, depending on who gets elected, uh, rural uh, black right. folks uh, in the legislature. So, j- just talk to us a little bit about that. You know, obviously the the black experience is not monolithic, uh, and right now mm-hmm. in Frankfurt, it certainly kind of is. Uh, so, what would mm-hmm. it mean to to bring um, this different? type uh, of, of black experience to uh, Frankfurt, how do you think it would color your service and how do you think your experiences would help impact, um, you know, the, the way in which the legislature uh, does its business? Mm. You know, you're the first person to ask me that. I, I, and I have thought about, you know, what, what do I say when people ask me about my identity and, and its impact in Frankfurt? And the first thing is that I am, very aware of um, people's identities and lived experiences because I come from a biracial, bicultural background that I'm often looking and and trying to understand other people because I know I have lived that experience. And so um, I think that's why I'm I'm so easy to connect with people um, because everyone to me is someone that has full of opportunity for me to learn from. Right. And I think for me being in that space, I I bring my lived experience of um, I'm a black Latina. I've got an African-American mother and a Mexican father. Um, So I have that immigrant background. I'm first generation college student um, from Appalachia and all that layered identity of, of that culture of being influenced and knowing that people um, at the end of the day, just want to make sure that they can take care of their families and lean in on. Yes, I I have, I come from, you know, uh, a bicultural family, um, but that has influenced me to see people in a broader aspect because I've had to join two different cultures um, from the get-go. And I'm hoping that means that we are strengthening um, our ideas of of a representative democracy. Um, I'm hoping that means that people get a, a, a a voice and an advocate um, in Frankfurt for more rural communities because you know I've lived lived and served and worked in those communities and all of that continues to carry with me because I understand identity and how much it influences people in their place and and how in, institution in, impacts them and so I come I come with that as a way to. Uh, better serve people, I think, and and that I'm not I'm looking through various lenses and not just shutting out people's experiences because that's not me. Um, I'm I'm looking at people as human beings with different experiences and not a monolith. 
Yeah, well, I think that your perspective is desperately needed in Frankfurt, so I hope you make it there. Um, so if there are folks that are interested in helping you do that job, if, they, if they're folks in, in Madison or Estrella Powell counties um, that are listening, how or you know anywhere else, how can they learn more about you? How can they uh, connect with their campaign and, and join in uh, if they if they like to do that? Yes, support, prayers, all the above are always um, needed and appreciated. But you all can uh, find me at www.martinajacksonky.com. I'm also on uh, Facebook at Martina Jackson for State Representative. And I'm also on Twitter, Martina4KY. Um, I'm active on those. You can see where I am at. Um, I've got a full agenda for the month. And so um, come say, hey, contribute, volunteer, um, and send good vibes. All right. Well, Martina Jackson, thank you so much for joining us and, and helping us host this week. Really appreciate it. Woo, thank you. Okay. Thank you, Martina. Let's get to the interview with Rini Heinrich. Rini Heinrich is the Democratic candidate in Senate District 24, which, which encompasses Campbell, Pendleton, and Bracken counties, as well as three precincts in Kenton County. Um, those are all in northern Kentucky. She's a lawyer by trade and owns her own firm in Campbell County. She went to law school at Northern Kentucky University and continues to live in Highland Heights, which is where NKU is, and she's a city council person there. While she's originally from Germany, her family is deeply Kentuckian, and she has several generations of her family that played basketball at the University of Kentucky. So, Rini Heinrich, welcome to my old Kentucky podcast. Thanks. So, you already serve as an elected official on the local level, and you've worked in government as an administrative judge in the past, and now, you know, you're you're making you're making a leap to run for, for something different. You're running for state senate. So, you know, at, with this experience behind you, some experience in, in local and state government on different levels, why are you interested in being in the state senate, and why have you decided to subject yourself to the elections process in order to get that job? Oh, you know, honestly, some days I kind of wonder that myself. <laughs> I think it's a great question. Um, I just decided that um, I wanted to be the change that I wanted to see. I think we're living in a very interesting time right now. People that I talk to are constantly talking about how they don't really trust their government. I think there's a lot of questions about um, ethics in government. There's a lot of questions about um, partisanship that is going on. And I think, you know, your average Joe uh, or Jane that lives in Kentucky doesn't really want to see any of that. They want to see a government that works for them, that's working hard, that's spending their taxpayer dollars well, and that isn't really getting stuck in in the weeds of a lot of bull that's going on. And I've seen a lot of statutes that have come down as a lawyer that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me and realized that out of, you know, the people that were being nominated for positions and that were running for positions, I could do just as well as they could. And why not go ahead and give it a shot? Absolutely. You know, I think you're exactly right about looking at the government and thinking, you know, this is kind of silly. I don't know why things are going the way that they are. And then I'm um, wanting to make make a change. I am interested, though. Uh, you know, I see all those things and I've decided to, you know, start a podcast or to, uh, you know, walk precincts or make phone calls or whatever. But you made the jump all the way to deciding to run for office. So can you talk to us a little bit about that? Were there people that called you? Did, did you uh, get recruited for this or did, has uh, service in the legislature always been something you had your eye on? Like, why, why have you decided to, to, to run for state senate? How did that end up happening to you? Well, um, you know, I grew up, my, my elementary school, and I swear this will make sense here in a second, um, was Montgomery County uh, Elementary School, Mount Sterling Elementary. And when we were maybe in the fourth or fifth grade, we took a trip to Frankfurt and kind of did the tour of the Capitol that I think a lot of kids do in either elementary or, or middle school. And I fell in love with the building, and I thought, someday I want to work here. And years later, when I was sworn into the bar, I was again in the same building and in the Supreme Courtroom and again was like, wow, this really is an amazing place. And so working in Frankfurt in the legislature has always been something that was on my radar. I think I chose now because in looking at the options and yes, to answer the question, I did. I was courted by a couple of people, um, but my kids are now a little bit older. I've got a, one of my kids is in college. So I felt like I have a little bit more freedom and time to dedicate to some of these things instead of taking away from my family. Running certainly takes away from a family um, in a lot of ways. And I wanted to make sure that my kids were old enough to understand what mom was doing and also not be resentful of what mom was doing and be able to handle me not being home every single night for 
for normal times that you would have in a, you know after a normal work day. Absolutely. Yeah, we, we've talked to a lot of people that have that have made the sacrifice as younger parents to, to go ahead and do it. And it is quite a sacrifice. So totally understand why somebody would want to wait, um, especially if that was something they wanted to do um, to, to uh, until a time when it was, you know, um, maybe a little bit easier. So anyways, glad that you're running now. That's that's great. And uh, makes total sense to me. Um, let's talk a little bit about your district. Uh, it, it's pretty unique, I think, in that it includes a large section of, of area that I mean, I think could be classified as nothing but urban. It's along the Ohio River. Uh, in some of uh, northern Kentucky's most democratic cities, including, you know, those three Covington precincts we talked about. You've got Newport, Bellevue, and Dayton. Um, uh, and, and those are, you know, those are basically right across the river from Cincinnati. They're pretty progressive urban spaces. Uh, but, but you also have a wide swath of rural precincts in southern Campbell County. you got Pendleton County and all of Bracken County. So, I mean, is 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 there a cultural divide uh, in your district? Is is that rural urban divide present in your district? Do you sense it when you go out and meet people in different parts of your district? And and if that is the case, how do you, how have you gone about campaigning with with the different folks that exist inside of District Twenty Four? Well, I'm going to answer the first the second question first. Um, I am who I am. I, I don't know how to be anybody else. And um, it, part of this process, when I decided to run, I called my little brother, who's six foot four now. Um, and made him promise me that if all of a sudden I would start changing who I am, he would jerk a knot in my chain pretty quickly. And that was really being authentically me throughout all of this was really important to me and something that, um, you know, I've always attempted to to do at all times. So, um, you know, I don't know how to act differently for one crowd or another. But that being said, I've always somewhat had different feet in different places. So like you had mentioned earlier, um, my mom's side of the family is German. I was born in Germany. We we immigrated or moved to Kentucky. My dad was in the military, moved to Kentucky when I was two or three. So I've only known really being raised in Kentucky. However, my grandmother and my mom always spoke German. I, I speak German fluently. We still have family that we visit on occasion. And so I was the weird kid in Mount Sterling Elementary who had um, salami and pickles in their lunchbox that smelled to high heaven That in the grade school that had absolutely no um, air conditioning and, um, you know, was looked at as being a little odd and a little weird. And so I've always tried to figure out how to be myself and get along with everybody and, and meet people where they come from. So... Yes, I'm not going to say there's a cultural divide, but there certainly is cultural differences between like what you said in Newport or Bellevue. I'm sitting in Bellevue right now um, or in any other place um, and going to Bracken County. I was in Bracken County this weekend and um, for their Heritage Days Festival, they had the most remarkable frog derby that I have seen in ages. And it really just made me absolutely the little country girl that grew up in Mount Sterling was so happy to see this you know, half an hour, hour of joy where all the local kids had found frogs in the local ponds and stuff like that. And were racing them, um, and just having good, clean American fun. Um, so I think I meet people where they are and from where they are. And I'm a very curious person. So I like to get to know people and find out what their history is and where they came from. And, and if you have open curiosity with people, you really bridge any divide that might be there. Um, you just have to be genuine about it and authentic. And, you know, I, I think that the district is very interesting for that reason. And I think I'm uniquely positioned to represent it for that reason as well. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't know if uh, Mount Sterling has seen a kid with a uh, Lieberwurst or sauerkraut in their uh, <laughs> lunchbox since then. Yeah. Uh, it, and it, you know, it's, I guess it's appropriate that we're talking to you today because it's, uh, it's an Oktoberfest starting yeah, right here. Yeah. In, at least in Louisville, we're doing it this weekend, the German American Club. So I don't know when, when they're doing it in, in Munich, but it's... Uh, yeah. I think Cincinnati's coming up here next week, maybe. But yeah, it, uh, it certainly tis the season. Yeah, absolutely. All right, cool. So, you know, you are running with a D next to your name as a Democrat, and this is a partisan race. And, and you know, we did, I think that your answer about the cultural divide and, and how you, you know, you know how to bridge those cultural divides because you have divided cultures inside yourself. Uh, that's that's a great answer. But of course, like a lot of times, these things get boiled down to R versus D uh, among a lot of people. Um, and, 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 you know, as I'm sure you go up to talk to people, uh, one of the first questions that you get asked is, are you a Republican or a Democrat? And, and sometimes the conversation stops there. So I am interested to know, you know, if if that is the thing that people are, are curious about, are there parts of the Democratic message um, in areas where it is maybe a little less um 
a little less beneficial uh, in your district? Are there ways that uh, parts of that Democratic message that you can use to keep the conversation going that people seem to be more interested in um, as you campaign in other parts of the district? I think that's a great question. I mean, there's no doubt that all of Kentucky is trending red right now, with exceptions of maybe places in Louisville and Lexington. Um, while we definitely have a strong Democratic um, party here in northern Kentucky and Campbell County and Kenton County specifically, um, you know, the, the Republicans are who has been by and large getting voted in. Um, however, we've had some great Democratic candidates uh, in Campbell County. We have Rachel Roberts, for example, who has won in, in several races now. Um, what I've kind of learned and, and how I feel about it is I registered as a Democrat when I was 18 and registered to vote. Um, I have been a Democrat my whole life. When I decided to run, I certainly had people tell me, um, elected officials that, that are friends, um, if you want to win, change your party. I really am running to a large degree because I think that ethics and government is important and we need to have a little bit more transparency. We need to have um, a little bit more faith in the system. And that comes from electing people who are going to do what they say they're going to do and who also walk the walk. Um, so I kind of thought to myself, am I really being, again, authentically me if I change my party just to get elected and decided against that, knowing that that was going to make it a little bit tougher uh, for my race? So I do have people, um, really good friends of my husband's and mine, who have been to our house repeatedly, who say things like, oh, it's going to be tough to vote for you because you're a Democrat. And sometimes it's tongue-in-cheek, sometimes it's not. What I've found, though, is when I really start talking to people about issues, um, we're in a position right now in society where people want to use buzzwords to divide people. Um, and um, I use the abortion issue as one. Um, you know, you hear abortion, you think pro-life, pro-choice. The reality is that argument is so gray, much more gray than a pro or a con um, and a 50-50 split. And when you talk to a lot of people about what's going on, some people feel differently about, you know, rape and incest. Some people feel differently about life of the mother. Some people feel differently. Like, for example, right now, our statute has um, a piece in it that says an embryo can't be destroyed. So what happens if you're a doctor and you have an IVF situation and you've got some embryos left over? That statutorily is not taken care of in the new statute. Um and so all of those things, when I start talking to people about and, and kind of diving, diving deep into the nerd stuff, and I'm a total nerd, um, I find that people go, oh, my gosh, you know, I'd never really thought about that. Or, oh, my gosh, wow, that is really something that we need to kind of come together about and figure out. So I really have crafted my whole campaign to try and find solutions for everybody, not just Democrats, not just Republicans, but for Kentuckians and to get solutions over these buzzwords. Because I think right now, when we see news reports, whether you watch Fox or you watch CNN, there's buzzwords being flown both sides without a whole lot of substance. And we need to get back to substance, I think, um, because people really aren't that much different. Um, th there's very few things when you talk to somebody um, people want their family safe. They don't want to pay a whole lot of taxes. They want, you know, inflation to go down. They want to make sure they have decent jobs and decent wages. And, you know, they want their kids to grow up and be educated and have opportunity. And I think that unites all of us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I mean, I think transcending partisanship or transcending partisanship and transcending party um, is something that's going to be really important in, in a lot of districts like the 24th Senate District, um, while, while holding on to that identity and, and making it mean something and, and, and you know, kind of growing um, what it means to be a Democrat. Like you mentioned, that's, a, that's an important thing to, to you. It seems like as somebody who registered in that party as the at the age of 18 and, um, you know, making it mean something um, that isn't as bad to folks in uh, rural areas uh, is, is, is important to a lot of us. So that's, that's good to hear. Okay. So, you know, we mentioned earlier, but you've served in multiple capacities in government on the local level. Um, and, you know, you're now hoping to make the jump to, to the state legislature. So you already, you know, you've worked as a legislator. And I think we've talked to some folks who um, have been in the executive branch and local government, some mayors and stuff, but we haven't really talked to anybody this year who's been a legislator at the local level. So, I mean, as somebody who's going from legislative branch to legislative, um, you know, a legislative body to legislative body, how do you think that the, the skills that 
that you've kind of garnered at the local level might transfer to your work on the state level? Again, I think that's a great question. So um, I think I'm uniquely positioned for two two reasons. Um, having been on city council for so long, we served um, under Mayor Greg Myers, who is a very consensus building mayors. Mayors don't always have to be, but he was very much one. And so he didn't want to make any big choices uh, about the city without consensus from council. And our voice was always important. Um, we always made sure to, um, you know, on the record, talk about what was going on. And, and we didn't always agree. And going through that for 10 years and realizing that sometimes you don't know whether or not the other person next to you is going to vote your way and and listening, not just kind of digging in, but but really listening to why it is that they're not okay and to try and find out whether or not there's some common ground or middle ground uh, to be able to find a solution is really important. Um, that's a skill, actually, that I have developed separate and apart from my time on city council, but I'm a divorce attorney. And so I meet in rooms almost daily with people who don't like each other and try and find common ground and win-win scenarios to figure out how to solve things. And so while I think it's really important to have a divorce attorney that is willing to go into court and fight, and that certainly is also part of my job, I think the bigger part of my job, especially when people have children, is to see whether or not there's common ground. Because a lot of times the slash and burn approach just is lets the lawyers make a whole lot of money and the people kind of suffer as a result. And that's never been my approach. So, um, you know, talking to people that are different on different ends of the table and trying to find solutions is something I've been doing now for 20 years. So I think those skills are what is needed in Frankfurt. I think that Frankfurt, you know, I come from central Kentucky. I've been here in northern Kentucky for over 20 years now. Um, but it took me a long time to understand that where we live up here in Northern Kentucky, you can cross the street and you're in a different town with a different city government, with a different police station, with a different firehouse. And that is not the norm across the state. So, you know, if you're in Bracken County, there's the county seat. There's um, maybe another town or two that you can travel to, but there's a lot of farmland in between point A to point B. And, I don't know that we, in recent memory, have had a legislator that can come from that perspective to talk to folks that don't understand what we're like and and why we're set up the way that we're set up and bring those assets back to us. You know, we're a feeder area, so our tax dollars feed into Frankfurt, Louisville, Lexington are similar. We don't get the same percentage of taxes back, generally, that we send down there. And I think it's incumbent upon our elected leaders to bring back as much as we can home. And the only way you're going to do that is to build consensus with the other people that are in Frankfurt who come from a lot more rural areas and, um, you know, paving those pathways to, to teaching is absolutely tantamount for us to manage to get, get something back for the tax money that we're sending down there. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I really liked every part of that answer. But I especially like, you know, comparing it to being a divorce attorney when you have to find kind of the win win situations and also but also know when it's time to, you know, put that aside and, and, and fight for what's right and, and figuring out what when that is, um, because that is kind of the the, the plight of a, a, a Kentucky Democrat in the legislature, um, where you know you want to work as much as you can with the other side, um, knowing that they have uh, most of the power, um, but sometimes that's just not possible. Uh, and, right. and knowing, knowing when that works. Yeah, it's going to be quite the same. So, um, yeah, I did actually want to talk a little bit about that, too. So we talked about this in the context of your your district and the people who are going to vote for you and, and you know, what it means to identify as a Democrat and, and what that looks like to voters. But if you actually make it to Frankfurt, um, you know, th that situation becomes a lot different. Uh, working in the, the city, uh, like, a, a you know, a city council, you have the, the benefit of it being nonpartisan where, you know, you know, uh, people obviously are registered in, in their as, you know, as a member of a party. Um, but that's not what's on the ballot. But of course, when you make it to the legislature, there's caucuses and you'll be a, a, in the Democratic caucus and there will be a Republican caucus and all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, so you mentioned you, you know, you wanted to work across those aisles, but but given how partisan everything has become, how much difficulty Democrats in the legislature have had 
and informing those bonds. Um, you know, you obviously have worked in the legislatures before, but but not ones that are partisan. Um, how do you hope or how do you think you'll be able to work to overcome those uh, among the other legislators if you get the chance to go to Frankfurt? Well, I mean, to begin with, I've got a lot of connections with people already that I either went to law school with or that I know from living um, in central Kentucky. Um, my brother lives in Lexington and has um, a small business down there. And, and you know, so the the legislators that we have in Frankfurt are not strangers to me by and large. Um, you know, over and above that, we also have um, different issues. And like you were saying, there are issues that you're going to you know, draw a line in the sand and not cross it because, again, I want to be authentically um, a representative for my district. And if it's not good for my district, then there's just no way probably that I might cross that line. On the other hand, um, I'm also a stubborn German. So <laughs> um, I'm not afraid to kind of barge in the room and invite myself to the table in a respectful way. And I think Rachel Roberts, again, has been very successful at doing that. Um, she and Sal Santoro, um, who lost his race in Kenton County, worked on legislation together that was passed. Um, and frankly, good legislation requires thoughtful senators and legislators to work together to not just throw something through that that hasn't re- really been well thought out. So I recognize that um, I'm going to be in a small caucus. I recognize that I'm going to be one of a lot of voices but I think uh, the foundations of relationships that I've already built so far in my life um, are just waiting to add another layer to, to to start building some more relationships. You know, we lost a lot in that Kenton County election in northern Kentucky. And I say that as a Democrat, but we lost some real moxie um, in Centaur's race being lost and, and some of the other races. And that has got to be rebuilt for us. Um, and, and those people were good moderates that saw need and um, worked across the aisle to fill it. And so I think, you know, I will go down, find similar minded people like that, whether they're Democrats or Republicans, and and start working hard to, to bring back what we need to to Northern Kentucky. Yeah, I think it was like three or four committee chairs of people up in northern yeah. Kentucky that lost. Yeah, it's kind of kind of wild. We, t- we talked about that a little bit after the election. Um, so you would we've been talking a lot of politics here, but I, I definitely wanted to ask you about issues for sure. And, and you know, um, uh, with a lot of these interviews, you can kind of tell pretty quickly what the issues are that, that people care about. But when somebody comes to this from the legal profession, sometimes it's kind of tough, right? It's like, <laughs> you know, um, the people who are lawyers actually tend to work with all of the laws and, and kind of know, know everything. Um, I'm from at a, at a pretty good clip. So I am cu- curious, you know, um, it, it, w- if you make it to Frankfurt, are there any specific movements um, that you're already seeing, um, you know, develop down there in Frankfurt that you would want to join? Or, or there are there any laws that you are excited about working on that you really think need to change or, or be updated? Uh, it, what is the what is, you know, your platform? What are the issues that that kind of animate you uh, that you want to work on in Frankfurt? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of them. Um, obviously, education is one. Um, you know, I kind of date myself, but at the time that that I was going through school, Kara was just coming up in in Kentucky education, and there for a while we were kind of at the top of the country in leading education. We are not now, um, and I think just looking at the rise of people that are putting kids into homeschool because they don't trust their local school districts, and and people that are. Um, you know, pushing for different curriculums and all of that stuff. I think it's really important for us to invest in education. I believe in public education. I am not a charter school proponent, especially public money going to charter schools. Um, I think it'll hurt, especially in Northern Kentucky. We have a lot of great Catholic schools that kids go to. Um, I think it's going to end up kind of backdooring and hurting a lot of those schools that have a really long history of educating kids here in Northern Kentucky. And I also think um, our public schools, um, I got a great education at Mount Sterling Elementary. And, you know, I I think taking money out of those funds and placing them into private corporations is not something that we should do with our tax dollars. Um, I know people disagree with me on that, but but that is one of those lines in the sand that I feel pretty strongly about. Um, So, fixing the education system and figuring out, you know, especially like in Newport and Bellevue, I was talking to somebody from Bellevue schools today in court, transiency in children in these urban areas is a big issue. So how do you educate a child 
and what do you do as an education system, a child whose parents might be incarcerated or whose parents might have to move because they're being evicted, it's not unusual for a kid to go from Covington schools to Newport schools to Cincinnati schools and then to Bellevue schools in one year. And if they're in the third grade, every third grade isn't teaching the same thing at the same time. And you end up having a child then that is completely not being educated because of their circumstance. Um, so I think we've got to find solutions to those. And I've been talking to educators about ways to fix those inherent problems in some of those areas. In the more rural areas, you have broadband and, and infrastructure issues. So um, you've got children that don't have Wi-Fi, which is super important. And we look at Eastern Kentucky and the ravages that, that happened down there. You know, there's a lot of um, lack of in infrastructure in Western Kentucky or Eastern Kentucky that if we could really invest in some broadband support and get them some Wi-Fi, they would have job opportunities. I mean, everybody's working from home right now in different capacities. They are completely cut out from that opportunity. So our local businesses that maybe are looking to hire people would have opportunity to hire people from Eastern Kentucky if we could just get some broadband down there. So those are two things that I think are important. I also think um, I do a lot of work with abused and neglected children and our cabinet for health and family services right now is really broken. So if I'm going to really geek out and, and dig deep into st some statutory construction, um, I think we really need to take a look at, at how that is being funded federally, make sure we're not impacting money that we're getting for the, fe the federal government, but at the same time, making sure that we really are protecting children, because I have real concerns right now that kids are, being, are falling through the cracks and are, are not being protected. No, that's certainly the case. And I do think some legislative oversight over the, some of those issues is, 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 you know, really, really important. Something um, we're losing some some real experts on that issue um, out of the legislature just this year. So it would be really great to have somebody back full who knows that issue really well, who could who could, uh, you know, point uh, point the legislature in the right direction. Uh, and, and yes, absolutely. Broadband and education, major, major issues, uh, not not anything that we're uh, unfamiliar with here that we haven't talked about. And it would be great to get better voices in Frankfurt uh, that are that are working on solutions to those big issues. All right. Well, great. Uh, I, I, you know, we have a lot of listeners up in Campbell County, for sure. I'm sure we've got some in Bracken and Pendleton County as well um you know and i know that we've we've got listeners in those three three <laughs> precincts in covington too so uh you know if, if if people are any of those in any of those spaces or if they're not how can people learn more about you join your campaign sign up to walk for precincts make uh, make calls donate whatever how yeah, can people do that absolutely yeah. so i have a website and you can sign up for everything it also will list all the upcoming events that are happening because there's a lot of things planned um, Heinrich for Senate. So that's H-E-I-N-R-I-C-H for F-O-R Senate.com. Um, I'm also on the Twitter and that's at Heinrich for K-Y, F-O-R Heinrich for K-Y. And I'm on Facebook and that is Heinrich, the number four Senate. Um, and uh, we'd love to see you. We've got a great groundswell of support. We've been walking now and knocking on doors for going on, I guess, the second month, if not longer. Um, and phone banking once a week. We're writing postcards. We're doing all of the things. Um, so if anybody has some time and some uh, wherewithal to, to donate a little bit of muscle to us, we are more than happy to take them on and, and uh, look to welcome them into our fold. Awesome. Well, Rini Heinrich, thank you very much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Okay, that's going to do it for this week. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at MyOldKYPod. You can uh, subscribe to our occasional newsletter at tinyletter.com slash MyOldKentuckyNewsletter. You can support us on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month at Patreon.com. Search for MyOldKentuckyPodcast, and we are a part of the Dimcast Network. All right, everybody, thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. <laughs>